you play through the foul. You play through it because there's a chance you may not get the call. Even though you may have earned the call, you may not get it. You know, we can't be talking about the future of work unless we talk to great coaches. One of the best parts of the podcast so far this year is the opportunity that we've had to talk to people that are in leadership roles in government, in academia, in the private sector, former Navy SEALs representing the public sector. We've been able to talk also to top coaches across every major sport, including this next guest. Named one of the 50 most impactful coaches in JUCO men's basketball. Uh, subject of the hit Netflix show, Last Chance You, in its latest season that just came out. Led the East LA Huskies to eight straight state playoff championships. For his time coaching the Huskies, Coach John Mosley spent five years at the NCAA Division I level at Cal State Bakersfield. Uh, it was here that he was an assistant men's basketball coach recruiting coordinator, and was instrumental in the program's D1 transition. I was excited to talk to Coach Mosley, not just about the latest season of Last Chance U, but his perspective, his philosophies, his strategies that he employs to get the best out of young people. Now, let's bring it in. Why coaching for you? Why you you choose that as a career? Um, you know what? Uh, I think I, I, I came back from travels in Brazil, Australia, and was playing a little bit. And my college coach, he, uh, I, I needed one more class to get my bachelor's degree. I had like took off. And so I needed one more class and I was like, Hey, how can I get this class so I can finish off my bachelor's degree? He said, Hey, why don't you come coach and I'll pay for the class, help me out. And so I did that. But what I realized is I was I wasn't done. I still love basketball. So I think, you know, the one of the first things is kind of loving it. And then I loved competing. Uh, and I and and I loved a team, a locker room environment. So those are the things that that got me to be passionate about just going back and helping and um and taking the class. So I needed the class. I was like, well, I'll go back and help. But I had all these things in my head, right? I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. I was, I was, uh, I had worked on like uh, a license I got, like an apprentice license to be a barber. I, uh, I was doing acting. I mean, I was running around. I was in music videos. I was rapping. I was just, I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. I was going to own a business. I was just all over the place. I knew I did have passion. I knew I was had some enthusiasm and energetic, and uh, I was a social, you know, person. I can interact with anybody. So all of the tools that most of us, you know, a lot of us have these different tools, and it's just kind of like putting us into, just put us into a. We got all these areas, these boxes, right? Okay, which box are we going to slide you in with all the tools that you have? We almost kind of have these common tools and mine where my tools can be most magnified, I guess, was in basketball. I can still have an impact on people's lives in terms of mentoring, in terms of pouring into people's lives. Um, I can be competitive, you know, I can, I can wear a, a, a sweatsuit, you know what I'm saying? I can show up in a sweatsuit and be comfortable. 
it was so much of that that attracted me. Uh, I like the spontaneity of just every day something was different. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I felt like I, I really knew that I was not going to sit in front of it. Like right now, I'm miserable for the whole year. I'm sitting in front of a computer. Uh, but no, it's good. It's not not miserable. But I knew that I was not going to wear a certain shirt and tie. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something where I can be a little more free, can self-express. Uh, I didn't know it was going to be basketball. And I didn't know up until the last few years that I was like good at it. I just started doing it and I didn't realize I was good at it. And I didn't realize that I, you know, I, I felt like it, anything I was going to do was going to be passionate. But I, I started out, long story short, I started out because the coach asked me to do it and I was kind of good at it and I was passionate. Maybe if I would have done something else, I would have been as passionate, but this allowed me to just have an extra passion because I just came off of being a player. I learned the basketball side. I learned the psychology and the leadership side when I was with my mentor. I had the best basketball experience with the mentor that asked me to come back and coach. So my best basketball experience and no knock to my high school coach or my you know, middle school or those levels, I had my best basketball experience with the mentor who asked me, hey, come back and, and, you know, finish your education and come coach. And I guess he saw that in me as well as a coach. And so I had my best basketball experience. And now I saw from the leadership side and I said, wow, that's why he did this, this, this. That's why he used this strategy. That's why, you know, even in responses, that's why he was crazy one day and then the next day, that's why when a day when I thought he should act crazy, he wasn't, he was calm. And then the day when I thought he should be calm, he was, he went off and he was emotional about and passionate about our urgency of getting things done. And so I kind of learned all that from there and it, it was very intriguing to me. And I realized that I had a place in, in it. Just yeah. by him asking me to come and coach, I realized that I had a place in coaching and he did, he paid me for it. Then he said, okay, I'm gonna hire you. And I was like, oh, I can make money to do this? You know, and then I was like, okay. And I wasn't making much all the way up until now where I'm, uh, I'm a tenured faculty member. You know, I was kind of job hopping and, but I was still doing it because I was like, well, okay, I can make this little money and do this. Are you kidding me? So I, I think that's, that's kind of where, you know, where, 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 it, land, where it lands. I played high school football and I remember there was this one day where a coach, everything was perfectly fine in practice. We thought we were doing, we thought we were, everything was okay. And, you know, next thing you know, a trash can gets thrown on the field and everybody off the field and the seniors were like, no, we're going to stay out here. And coach was like, nope, out, get back in the locker room, out, get your stuff, go home, see you tomorrow. And a few years later, when I began coaching, we were after a game and we were talking and, you know, I've come to find out, you know, that was all orchestrated. You know, this one moment was it's like it just felt like that needed to happen that day. Uh, and that's what that scene <laughs> kind of reminded me of. How do you. How much of coaching is. The psych I guess talk to me more about the psychology of coaching and how you look at it. Yeah, that's it's a field, man. I, I'll tell you what. I think I don't even know if I can coach. I think the spirit of discernment, I think that's the gift that I've. 
I've, I have. And not to scare anybody, like it's something that you just, you know, that you, that you can't kind of learn or, or, or kind of observe and see what needs to be done. But I, it's just the feel. And part of that feel comes from the relationships you have with the players and with people and just kind of understanding people. Not be so consumed with yourself and how you feel. Instead, just kind of realizing, and that's why I say rules without relationship equals rebellion. Because if you don't know, if you don't understand people and you don't take the time to understand people and why they may be going through something, why they may respond a certain way, then you'll never figure out how to change behavior or direct behavior. And I just think that that's the, one of the biggest, to, to be able to direct behavior in the right way, you got to understand the, the people that you're working with, right? Everybody, yeah, if a kid comes from a better, more stable environment, you can say, hey, you need to do this right now. Yes, sir. Yes, coach. Someone who's come from an unstable environment where they caught the bus and it took them an hour to get there and whatever issues they're going through to get there, they're not responding because they, they're sabotaging their opportunity, but they're responding because of what's going on maybe in their lives or maybe uh, the damage that, you know, or the abuse that they've gone through, the abandonment that they've gone through. That's why they're responding that way. And so they're acting out because of something else. It has nothing to do with wanting to perform well. And so if you say you want to help people perform well, then I think it's important to dig into those relationships and figure out what's going on, where, where their head is, where their space, their headspace is at that moment. And so when you talk about the psychological aspect of it, I think that's really, that's, that, that's the root of it to kind of understand what's going on in the core of a person's mind because the, the the 10% is the basketball man I'm telling I told everybody I, I, I tell everybody I think I mentioned it in the monologue like that they, this is the easy part the X's and O's is the easy part man but the, the hard part is to try to figure out every individual and bring it together figure out what's going on in their head not only what's going in their head but what's going on in their their lives to get them to perform better um that that doesn't it, it, that doesn't necessarily take away from the performance, but it's it it it, it takes away from their 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 response to adversity, and so we got to just help them get through that adversity uh, that they're going through because that's how they respond most of the time or a lot of times in a poor way because they don't know how to handle it at, at the adversity. What's changed? I mean, and over the years as you've been coaching, you know, young men, what what's changed uh, in what? How have you had to adjust? You know, there's obviously a lot of talk about people complain about millennial this, millennial that. Now we're complaining Gen Z this, Gen Z that. The next, you know, how do you look at that? Well, you know what? I, I think in, in a lot of ways, and I, I may be getting into an, another area, but I think in a lot of ways, our society, they're trying to change instead of trying to change what makes up a, a, a performer you know, uh, the toughness, the, the grit, the uh, what, what, what makes a performer. And we're trying to change that. There's nothing wrong with being confident and having swag and putting it out there. But there is a problem with using that confidence and swag to harm others. How we've gotten here and how we've created this level of success is because of those attributes that we've had. The problem is the attributes 
are being used to harm people. And that's what we have to stop. Not stop the attributes of greatness. Do not stop the attributes of greatness. Okay. Do not suppress power. Do not suppress uh, 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 greatness. Don't suppress it. What we have to suppress is the evil that's within that greatness or that power. Uh, because that's what, what's created all of the successes that we've had. And it's trickled into our sports. And because we don't have the family structure is broken down. I think we're losing those values because the family structure is broken down. And so who I'm receiving, I'm receiving a lot of young men who don't have that, that family structure, who's learned those values of, you know, hey, this is hard work. You know, it's okay to be powerful. It's okay to be confident in what you do, but be respectful, have class, have poise. And we're losing, uh, we're learning those, we're losing learning those. That's where we normally would learn those, a lot of those values about hard work and about, you know, and not wanting to receive. I think I sent out a tweet the other day and it was kind of controversial. And I was saying, hey, I, in my opinion, we don't, we don't need another stimulus check, man. We need access. We don't need welfare. Give us access. Open the doors so that we can create our own opportunities. Don't give us a, a, a hush money. We don't need hush money. We need the doors open to our businesses, our facilities uh, for access. And I think it was a little controversial. And that's what I mean. Don't don't control how we should, you know, our access. And that's happening with our young people. Uh, and I'll tell our players all the time. They'll go and they'll they'll foul. We'll play in the in practice. And we'll play hard, physical, and tough. And guess what? They're looking at me, coach, you didn't call the foul. And I'll tell them, do not look for welfare. I said, don't look for welfare. Don't look for the referee to call a foul. You go and you, you explode through the contact. You play through the foul. You play through it because there's a chance you may not get the call. Even though you may have earned the call, you may not get it. We don't need, and just the same, we don't need the foul call you know, to help us get back in the game. Do not give us welfare. Let us go and pursue. And even if we feel like we deserve that check, don't give it to me. Give us the opportunity to earn it. Give me the opportunity to earn. And that's, uh, that's you know, that's kind of the, 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 the what's trickled down. And I will press in there. And when my doors are closed, hey, if, you wanna, if you're looking for a foul call, I say, hey, don't look for welfare at me. I'm not blowing my whistle. No welfare here, bro. You got to fight through that. And you got to play through that foul call. You're teaching life. You're not just, that's not just basketball, right? Yeah. We're trying to, on those, those, and taking it from the perspective of, I grew up where a lot of those guys grew up. So I'm trying to ma manipulate the thought process and see it how they see it you know, or try to relay the message how they would relay it. I mean, I can have some these cute quotes and they'll be like, yeah, whatever. I saw that on the internet or somebody posted that the other day, but I'm trying to say things, you know, or, or try to relay the message in a way that they can kind of understand. Um, I think it was one time our guys years ago, my guys always text me and they say, coach, I don't need no gas money. You know what I'm saying? And so, if there was this one kid who we had, you know, he had a great mom. Mom had a great job, right? And he played for us. Uh, and I think I teased him because he wasn't working hard. I said, 
Here's the problem. Here's why you don't work hard. You got gas money. I said, you got gas money in your pocket, right? I said, some of these guys ain't got gas money and they got to work. They got to ride a bike. I said, but the problem with you is you got, you got gas money in your pocket. You can afford to get from point A to point B. There's some people that's hungry that can't. And so the, all the players, you know, they tease me. They were like, coach, they still text me and talk about gas money. Because the one player, and I was teasing him, you know, because it's, you know, they, and, and I do get players with parents that are doing well. And I said, man, you, you, the problem is, is you, you got gas money. That's the problem. That's why you not tough. You won't go up and get the rebound hard. Let me take away your gas money. Your mama probably gave you lunch and gas money this morning, right? There's some people in here that don't have lunch money that don't have gas money right now. And it was a figuratively speaking statement, you know, like, like even though you're not rich, you still got enough to get by and you're losing your hunger because you got lunch money this morning. Somebody handed you $10 for lunch money. And then they handed you, they paid your cell phone bill. And then just the bare necessities you're taking care of. Even though you're not rich, your bare necessities are getting, and that's taking away your edge. But sometimes when you don't even have the bare necessity, sometimes a hunger just gets built up. A, a anger, a chip on your shoulder gets built up because you, you don't have. And I, I want that chip for everybody. I want to find a chip that everybody can put on their shoulder. Even if your parents, you were born into wealth, what is your chip? Your chip on the shoulder can be that everybody thinks you you know, are spoon fed or born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Well, why don't you get pissed off, pissed off at that and say, you know what, I'm gonna create my own success and forget the, the spoon. You know what, as a matter of fact, I do have the silver spoon and I'm gonna show you a gold and a platinum and I'm gonna show you several other spoons on top of the silver spoon that I got, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing that, I, that I, it just comes through to me in watching the the show was the level of like the level of trust you got with your players. I mean, and you know, I was watching it with with a few people at the office, and when it when it first came out, and there's you know a few people in the room who would say, you know, why why is coach still going after that player to try? Why why is he giving so many shots? Why is he you know that kid would be out of here? You know, I'd kick that kid right off the team. Why is coach continuing to? try to find a way to make it work with that kid. Can you share, like, what, what, how does that happen? How do you have that mindset that uh, there's so much care and love for your players to continue to come back and find a way to connect with them, even when maybe they might be acting out or, you know, in a, in a moment? You know what, I was that young man at some point, I, I can see myself. So I have 15 guys and, and they all have different personalities. They all acted out in different ways. And you can only see just the Joe Hamp. They only highlighted maybe four or five stories, right? Of these guys, but all 15 guys were the same. They all had these issues and were just, when one kid acted this way, I felt that before. I know why he's acting out and I know Number one, because I built a relationship and I found out what's going on in his life. And then number two, I saw myself in him before. And I made a vow, and you don't have to do this, but if you say that you wanna have this trust, then I think you have to build the relationship and know what's going on. And then say, 
I'm not going to get, they're going to have to give up on themselves. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to give up on you. And that's just what I take, the responsibility I take. And for me, maybe it's competition, maybe it's a challenge. My challenge is I'm going to do just like for everybody. I want you to feel the same that I felt, that people gave up on me, that people didn't think I was good enough and I proved them wrong. And so I want that for everybody. And I see me. So I'm dealing with young men that a lot of people have given up on. And something about me is just burning like, no, 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 no. Let's prove the guy's wrong, Joe. Everybody that gave up on you. The abandonment you felt when you blew out one knee and then you blew out the other knee. Now, where's all the people who were, where are all the hanger honors? Everybody who was hanging on to you, who thought you were going to be an NBA player and you blew out both knees, where are all those people at, right? Let's prove them wrong. Let's get you back to where you need to, need to be. And now I look at Joe Hampton. He's like all over social media and he's, Got like almost a quarter of a million followers, and this is crazy. Shaquille O'Neal, he's got all these like mentors and people that are calling him up. And we just look, and I can remember at the beginning, he just had all this doubt and he had he was just suffering. I saw a diamond. There's a diamond in everybody, man. There's a diamond in everybody. And what's amazing is, and what's crazy is I was I was given the analogy about the diamond, and then it's I had someone else add on to it, like, yeah. And the better the pressure, the better the diamond, right? And so you get a young man like Joe, and he's got all of this, this all of this pressure and all of this. That diamond that's in there is going to be a lot better than, you know, you, you, know you, you talk about the ones who's gone through the most and then come out of that adversity. They got a better story. They got, they got more resilience. They, they've gone through enough where there's not much that's going to be able to knock them down now. And so there's a diamond in everybody, man. And when you're working with people, when you're a leader, you got to see that. And, and I think that was the calling. It's not something that's just happened here um, as a coach, but I know it, I can see it in coming up just children in general. I just look at a child and you can see a parent, hey, stop, don't do that. No, no. And I just smile and I'm looking like, man, look at that energy and look at the, the, the fearlessness. And us as adults, we're like, no, stop. I just look at the fearlessness, man. I'm like, ah, that fearlessness is going to lead to greatness. Or we just got to harness it and make sure we, we don't let them harm himself, but don't suppress the fearlessness. Just don't allow him to harm himself. Don't say no. Don't make it a bad thing for them to, for that child, that, that you know, that child to, I love it. I'll sit there and watch kids. I just smile. And the and parents and, and, and adults, we have these team camps. And I got this kid, you'll have four kids out of like 100 that are just, people will say those kids are awful. They're disrespectful. They're mean. They're like little nine or 10 year olds, disrespectful, mean. I'm like looking like those are the most attractive. Those are the ones, yes, that's, <laughs> those are the kids right there. The little smart aleck kid who you say, everybody's sitting in the line and they wanna jump out of line to show you that they're non-conforming. Absolutely, that's the one I wanted to work with, you know? So that's awesome. That's I got just, yeah. That's all. I got a four-year-old daughter and she, she, she's definitely in that vein of anything she can jump off of. She's going to climb up to and jump off of. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fearless. 
there are companies out there with managers that are going to be responsible for coaching up people that maybe have been out of work for weeks uh, or have a lot of other things that they're thinking about when they come into work. Many, unfortunately, don't get a fair wage today. Uh, they're maybe coming in in jobs that put them a little bit behind the eight ball. I want to ask you how, I want to ask you about practice because, I mean, you do a lot of it and I'm sure you have a philosophy on what makes a good practice versus a bad practice. And I want to ask you that just be through the same lens of companies are going to have to onboard and retrain workers quickly when they get to work on day one. For you, what, what, are the, what advice do you have to a manager for how to design a practice that's effective versus one that's ineffective? So my maybe repetition is the key to success. And so here's the thing. I was very fortunate. My mentor, he passed away last, uh, last January. So January 2020, and we believe he was on a respirator. We believe it was COVID before the big COVID, COVID pandemic hit. But he was uh, being mentored and he was close with John Wooden. And so all of the practices that I was able to get was from my mentor and he got his practice style and all of his practices. I mean, I literally, 80% of my practice is a John Wooden practice. Okay, I, I still got, and it's at my office now, John Wooden actually came and took notes and scribbled all over. I got it laminated. I had this. You know what? I had this written out where notes John Wooden took on it for like, like 10 years. I had it like written out and I just had it like in a folder. And I was like, what am I doing? Laminate it. And I finally laminated it like two years ago. I was, it was crazy, but it was good. It was, it was kind of old and it's laminated. So, but repetition is the key to success. And I think what happens, and I'm so grateful, I mean, I'll tell you what, because I talk a lot. I'm so grateful that I got a chance to go under my mentor. Like I was sharing with you, I got a chance to see from a leadership side because I was like, man, why is it this dude talk much? We're just going and going. How come I'm not getting a response from him? Like I'll do something great and it was no big, like, or I'll do something wrong. And then since I'll do something wrong and I'm looking over, no response. I do something great, look over, no response. You know what? Just let's go. Boom. Repetition is the key. Make mistakes. Make mistakes. Uh, have success. Make mistakes. Have success. Make mistakes. Just continue to be repetitive. And I really learned how to move through a practice. And I don't know if this will relate to business, but I'll tell you something. That was the probably the most instrumental uh, com uh, component that I've learned in terms of the success, X's and O's success, in terms of the basketball success, not the psychology aspect, well, the psychology aspect, aspect of it as well. But to stop a mistake and correct it every time, we're not getting the repetition we need, the physical repetition so that we can learn the habit, so that we can create good habits. If I stop and I correct and I keep giving my what I believe, you know, I give this speech and yell and scream. So yeah, that's why I thought, I really thought they didn't have any content for the show because the, all the content that you show, saw, that was really kind of it. And they took it and put it together because it's just boom, boom, we go, oh, nonstop. And before they can get bored, we would move on to the next thing. So I prefer to do something 
one 30 seconds, one to two minutes a day. I see a lot of coaches, they'll spend a half an hour on like a defensive drill or 15 minutes on a defensive drill and they're talking and go through it. And then the next day they'll do another drill and, and replace the defensive drill. Well, I prefer to do that defensive drill one minute a day, every single day and move through it. And as they make mistakes, well, guess what? They're going to make mistakes for a week. And then the next week they may make the mistakes two less days. So now they're only making the mistakes three days, but they're going through it. And I'm talking them through it as we go. Now, nah, hand up, top down, keep it going. Let's go, let's go. And now guess what? Now four guys aren't making the mistake anymore. And now all of a sudden, the next day, six guys are not making the mistake. And then eventually it takes maybe a month, but after a month, all 15 guys are not making the mistake. They're all executing it properly. So now as we get mid-year, we're doing the same thing. Now, guess what? They're doing it. I like to call it a zombie state. And I tell my assistant coaches, and they don't know what I'm talking about. I say, when they start to look like zombies, when we're doing these drills and these activities and we're doing our offense, now we've arrived. Because now when they get in the game, when, when the moment is at its highest peak, now when pressure and tension start to rise, what happens? Their body naturally moves in that zombie state. So when this, when, when the, when the psyche, when it feels like uh, the psychological is gone, when the pressure gets to them, guess what? Their bodies can no longer fun function from a mental standpoint because maybe they're afraid or they're nervous. Guess what? Their body is going to function out of that zombie state. And so because we were so repetitive, because we move repetitively. And that's why the great players are great. Because even when there's pressure, when all that, they're still gonna make a shot because they practice it thousands, hundreds of thousands of times that they practice it. That even when they mentally aren't there, their body just naturally does it. And that's the, the state we wanna be in. And so repetition is the key to success. And so when we talk about practice, when we talk about training, Overall, you know, not over speaking and over talking that information. We can only take so many notes. We have to act. We have to physically do it. And from a basketball standpoint, we have to continue to do it and put the hours in doing it. And you know what? It's going to be disappointing. It's going to look like, uh, when you first do it and you have to let them work through mistakes. And I think that's what they don't show on the show is how we progress and how bad we look at the beginning and I'll allow them to keep working through mistakes. And I don't talk all the time. I just let them go and let them go, let them make a mistake. And then as they're going, guess what? They made a mistake, but I didn't stop and kill the momentum. You can't always stop and kill the momentum. You gotta just, because one person made a mistake, kill the momentum for everybody else who's making progress, you can't stop progress, progress. That guy now has to come on. Let's go. And then there are times where we stop because guess what? You can get lost in boredom. So now we got to stop and wake them back up. And now we do have to have a dialogue. But for the most part, it's boom, boom. I call it a heartbeat. Your practice has to move at a heartbeat. Boom, boom, boom. Go, 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 go. Before they're bored, next drill. And so how do I keep them? There, and I think even more so 
in the space that I'm in because they're so easily distracted. They have, you know, I have young men that have, uh, you know, the attention deficit issues. And so you got to go and keep them excited. You know, I'm running off the wall because I got to make them say, whoa, this dude, what the, you know, and then next, and then, whoa, he's crazy. And it's like, okay, let me start picking my nose again. But before they can pick their nose, they're like, oh, next, what do we do next? Oh, here we, so there's like, you got to keep them stimulated as well. And that's how we are in our society, right? With all the social media. I mean, I just got on social media, like, and I'm looking at this, crap and I'm like oh my gosh like you will you literally can lose a day in social media it is literally it's a necessary evil you can lose a day you can lose an hour if I cut this thing on right after I start talking to you I can probably lose an hour in the day so that level of stimulation that we're getting from our social media that has gotten we have to now move to that same level of, of, you know, of, of we got to figure out how can we stimulate the group to move like this? Boom, boom, boom. How can we stimulate that group? How can we go like this? Keep them engaged. Unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're dealing with. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot in there that a business, anybody in business can take. Because you think about so many employee trainings and onboardings or, you know, they lock you in a room and make you watch videos for eight hours. There's nothing uh, that is the polar opposite of the, <laughs> the experience that you just described. And it, and it, and it doesn't take away from your fundamentals. The fundamentals of business, the fundamentals of basketball, you still teach. It's just what package do you put, do you teach them in it? Yep. Talent leaders to their future leaders, kind of the leader after you that's going to be coaching and mentoring them. Uh, what advice do you have for them uh, as they pick up, you know, so many young men that you've coached and, uh, have now the responsibility that you had and kind of carry the torch? I think in order to get any group of people, young men, individual, whatever, coworker, to buy into the vision, to buy into what it takes, I think you got to care and serve. I think you got to care and you have to serve. And that takes, that's a part of the responsibility. I think that's a part of the, the job. And I think that's a part of, you know, the work. And that may be the most important work. That just may be the most important work. Sometimes we're so uh, consumed with ourselves that we want to hear ourselves talk. We want to hear ourselves teach. We want to hear ourselves show them how to do it. I know it all. When all you really have to do is, you really have to do is just serve them and care about them. You know, when they walk through the door, everything's busy, everything's intense. Guess what? You know what really feels good is when you're approached and you know that there's a workspace that you have to go into, but before you can go into that workspace, there's someone who's the perceived leader, they say, John, how you doing, man? Hey, how was your, uh, I, I saw, how was your daughter's uh, softball game? Remember you? And I'm like, oh, uh, now I'm excited. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, she did well. And now I'm excited. That's great, man, your daughter's gonna be great. Hey, you're doing a good job with your daughter. Right there, I'm, I'm hooked. 
I'm hooked right there. And I'm not, and, and now I'm not saying it as a, as a trick or a clever way to, I'm saying, no, sincerely care, sincerely. That's where the trust comes in. And that's where the buy-in comes in is when you sincerely care, you got a vested interest because I'm a, if I know that means something to you and I'm asking you about your daughter and now I'm trying to work around, I'm trying to work around how you can be successful and still you know, have your, have your daughter in your life and still your daughter is still important and your daughter is still, I'm not trying to just pull you away from all that. Like, no, I, I believe that that's, but, but if you do that, if you care, you have a vested interest in others, then the, the, the dream is easy to be sold. And, and we all have experienced that when, when we've been asked, when we've been made feel good, like, Hey man, you looking good. It looks like you lost weight. It looks, you look great, man that have always given direction, right? Hey, you need to lose weight and you'll be, hey, if you lose weight, you'll be great. I don't want to hear that. How about, man, you you look awesome, man. You look awesome, looking good. Hey, even if you don't, you, you hey, even if you don't, you're great. And now guess what? They're going to ask, hey, what can I do? Well, you know what you could do? Possibly lose weight. So just investing in others, caring, serving others. Uh, I think you'll get anybody who's working under you so to speak, will will respond. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Coach. It's a pleasure to meet you, and thanks for taking time. I got a lot of takeaways from this conversation with Coach Mosley. If I were to put a fine point on it, I think it really encapsulates the challenges that a coach has today when it comes to trying to. Get a team to play together. And how do you get the most out of individual players who oftentimes come from a diverse set of backgrounds, different experiences, a team that doesn't all look the same. And as we think about the future of work, the only way we can create a future of work that gets the most out of every worker, that lifts up every worker, that raises up every worker, is if we think like Coach Mosley when it comes to challenging, trusting, and loving every player on our team. If you haven't yet, I encourage you to go over to Netflix and watch the latest series of Last Chance U covering East Los Angeles' men's basketball team and Coach Mosley and their journey. That's all we got for this episode. I want to thank Coach John Mosley for taking time out of his wild schedule right now to spend time with us. That's all we got. Now, back to work. (laughs) 